You're a pastor. You're a husband. A father. Uh, a human. Sorry, I could... You are the kind of person who gets helpfully annoyed at stuff that doesn't make sense or work, and yet we keep on doing it. And that's what I, I'm just telling you stuff that I know about you. Uh, Adam's been a real big influence on me. He's the guy who, whatever he's into, he can't help but talk about it, and then you kind of want to get into that too. He just kind of carries that. Here's some stuff he taught me. I don't care what you claim you believe, your life will tell me what you really believe. That's one of the things Adam taught me. He taught me following Jesus isn't boring, but sometimes church is, and that's stupid. Uh, he taught me the attitude of, I don't want a pity party, I want obedience and good fruit. And sometime back in October, I told Adam uh, that I want us here at Gateway to really dig deep and get as organizationally healthy as we possibly can. And he got super excited and was like, yes, yes. And, and next thing you know, he's like, let me come, let me, let me investigate, let me equip, let me encourage. Oh, this is going to be awesome. And he believes in us so much that some days I'm like, hey, Adam, am I going to be okay? And he's like, you're going to be awesome because you're humbling yourself before the Lord and God always exalts you, us when we humble ourselves. So he's, you've, been a, you've been a big encouragement. So, and also he's fun. Uh, he's challenging. Sometimes he annoys me like crazy. Like he'll, he'll say, this is the way it is. And I'll be like, no, it, no, it isn't. Well, you know, you don't have to listen to me. And then I get all defensive and upset. And I'm like, you just like to see me squirm. And he just laughs. He's encouraging. He's the real deal. Uh, he's a friend. He's Adam Bauer. <laughs> so I'd like you to welcome him, Adam Bauer. Well, thank you, guys. I'm excited to be with you. There's uh, so much that I want to share with you this morning. I have a, uh, I have a, like in my relationship with Jesus, I don't always hear, um, like I, I never, I, I never like the Bible says that we hear in part and and we and we see in part, right? Or we know in part. And so, like, I, I'm never going to be one to pretend that I can hear from the Lord perfectly, or you know, that I got this like divine like direct line and it's always a hundred percent, but there, I have, I've made this kind of covenant with the Lord. You can tell me whatever you want to say, right? Like, I don't care how hard it is. Like I need to hear it because I have this life and that's it to like serve you and, and work for you and, and be who you want me to be. So, um, it, man, he's given me like uh, a few knocks in, in the head as far as some things that he's, that he's shared with me, especially over these last two years. I've been preaching on uh, judgment day for like two years. Isn't that amazing? And like, you'd think that people would get tired of hearing it, but they keep showing up to uh, listen to what I had to say about it. Because like, isn't, isn't that like, how many of you guys ever, do you ever hear people say like, well, I just like can't wait to get to heaven? And it's like, yeah, but after death, then comes judgment. And everybody wants to skip that part. And it's like, well, no, you're going to stand before him one day and give an account for your life. But we never talk about that. Isn't that weird? Like, I want to talk about that stuff all the time because in my, in my opinion, one of the roles of, of my job is to prepare people to stand in front of the Lord and actually give an account for their life. So that's, that's what I want to talk to you guys about today, if that's all right. And um, I am uh, very funny, 
You're right. Uh, and I, I am, so like, I, like, I have a lot, a lot of hard things to say, but I'm never going to stop smiling because like, because I know the Lord. Like I know the one who's told me these hard things. You know, one of the things that he said to me um, two years ago before COVID hit, he said, he said, if you don't become a better leader, I'm going to find somebody who is. That's what he told me. At least what I thought he told me. And I was like, oh man, I got to become a better leader because I knew he was right. Because I knew he wanted to do something in York. And so I, I was like very challenged. And I, and I, and I like passed that buck onto my worship leader, Heather. I said to her, hey, I just heard from the Lord that I need to be a better leader or he's going to find somebody better than me. And I said, and I think he means you too. So I put that on her also. And so we've both been on just kind of like a leadership journey of becoming better leaders than we currently were. But at the same time, as funny as I am, I've also like experienced like a lot of like serious stuff. Have you guys ever like seen people die because of sin? Like I've actually seen people die because they were sinning. You know, like there's, there's this one guy and, and I mean, he, I, I loved him. I love like, um, like people who have, like some of us can like sin and remain hidden. And then there are some people like addicts who can't remain hidden in their sin. You know, and we have a lot of addicts in York. York, uh, Pennsylvania is one of those places where um, the prison system there causes a lot of people to come in. Then there's a lot of halfway houses and there's a lot of addiction in York. And uh, so we get people who are addicted to drugs attend the church. And they are usually like very just the best kind of people, except when they're on drugs. Then they're just terrible. But when they're not and they're just serving in the church, they are just lovely people. And I remember this one guy... um, who I just loved so much, like he would, um, he would serve the Lord and then he'd fall back into sin. And then he'd like get out of it and we'd call him and we'd be like, hey, like, let me encourage you. Like, that's not what God has for you. That's not who you are. And then like he would crawl out of it and then he'd come back and serve the Lord. Well, one time he did a, um, I mean, he just, he just messed up one weekend and there was, uh, I forget the drug that was mixed with the um, fentanyl was mixed with the cocaine he did. And he just, he just died right there in his apartment. And it was right next to the church. And like, it was just done. Like, his time on earth was done. And, he was, and then he was getting high, and then he was before the Lord. You know what I mean? And I, I mean, that kind of stuff is just like, man, it's kind of intense. And so I have, I have tons of those stories, but they're kind of, they're just kind of like, I carry a soberness with me because if there's one thing that I, I love the Lord, but I also fear the Lord. And to fear the Lord is actually the beginning of wisdom. And so, um, so when I'm talking to you guys today, there's always a flip side of the coin. You know what I mean? And churches typically emphasize the one side and then neglect the other. You know what I mean? Like, do you know what? The, um, th- that day is going to be the great and terrible day of the Lord, right? Um, and sometimes people um, emphasize God's love and they just kind of put his wrath under the carpet. Do you know what I mean? We don't need to talk about that stuff. But um, here's what I want. I want the full counsel of the Lord. Like, I want him to tell me everything. And I want to be prepared to stand before him one day. Does anybody want to be prepared? Okay, so this first passage I'm going to read is a little intense. Okay? Can you guys take it? I know, let me just say this. So we were just in, like, two intense years. You guys, you guys have heard of COVID, right? And, like, it, 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 is, it is this thing that's just like really like shaking people up. And I heard somebody say the other day, now listen, I, I know like we, we actually had some key people pass away in our church. And thank God, they, they were just servants of the Lord. They loved the Lord. You know, that's how I want to go out. I want to go out loving the Lord, serving the Lord, right? And fortunately, they, they were ones who did. But we, we mentioned prayer earlier. You know, 
there, there's a place to get in touch. Like, I've heard people talk about COVID as if it's like um, the worst thing that's ever happened to the church. Like, martyrdom is the worst thing that's happened in the church, you know? Like, people used to be fed to lions. People used to be, like, lit on fire and put on lampposts, right? And were used as torch. Like, that's pretty bad stuff. This has been a... At, there's been some casualties, but this has been an inconvenience at most. And nobody has an excuse in this room to quit running this race as if you're not trying to win it. Does that make sense? Like a lot of people think that there is no race, let alone why would I even try to win it? I'm a Christian. And it's like, no, Paul told you to run this race as if you're trying to win the race. I'm trying to win this race. I'm trying to outserve the people at my church, which is very hard to do because they are, some of those people love Jesus more than me. But like, I'm going to run this race as if I'm trying to win. Not casually observe people running a race as if I'm not in it. And I think that's the problem with Christianity in America. But anyway. John 8, 39 says this. He's talking to Pharisees. He says, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Now see, Jesus was sitting there and he had some critique of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are sitting there and they want to defend themselves. They say, Abraham is our father. And he's saying that to them. And this is his response because they're identifying with the name. They're identifying with the name of Abraham. It says this, Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. Isn't that amazing? So follow me. If you claim to be attached to Abraham, well then do what Abraham did. Okay, and this is one of those times the Holy Spirit said, said to me, that's what Christians do. They keep attaching themselves to my name, but they do not do my deeds. Okay, and we do know this, right? That faith without works is dead. Are you identifying with Jesus Christ or do you do the deeds of Christ? It's both, right? So like when I was a kid, I used to read the word, okay? And I, 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 was, I was just a little boy and, and I would open up this word and I would go to church and like everything was like, um, it was almost like, like I, I grew up in a Methodist church. They loved kids and they loved me. And when I went to church, I knew I was loved. And, but the, the sermons never really had any heat on them. But when I read, when I'd open up and read the Bible, it had some heat on it. When I read the, do you guys ever read the parables of Jesus? They're pretty intense stuff. But like, so in Matthew 7, 22, Okay, it says this, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Nope, not going to do that, right? You guys associated with my name, but yet you practice lawlessness. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Right? But like you can just tuck those verses under the carpet and not deal with them. Like COVID could have caused you, could have rehashed sin in your life. Did you guys know that? Because sometimes when stress comes, it's you just want to relieve stress. So like you go back to maybe the, the things that you did to kind of deal with this world. I want you to know that that's not cool. Right? And the more that God's a reality in your life, that stuff's not going to have a chance. But if if you're not meeting with the one whom you claim to love, you know when you want to do that? 
probably in the morning because you're going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? If you're not meeting with him and declaring what it is that he's declared to you and telling him what it is that he's given you, sin has a way of coming back into your life, right? And you don't want to practice sin. Now, how many of you guys kind of mess up every once in a while? And you say, Father, I repent, and that's good to repent, right? And say, I don't want this in my life. Amen. That's why he died. He actually died so we could do that. He actually made a way to the Father so that we could fellowship with the Father in this life. But, like, that's not something you want to make a practice out of. So, <laughs> there's a, gosh, like, yeah, I'm just going to clobber you. There's, a, um, there's another verse in the Bible. You know that guy who stored up all his riches? Do you know what he gets said to him when he dies? He dies, and do you know what he hears? Two words. You fool. Could you imagine? Yeah, how many of you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? I, I don't, I don't want to hear you fool. Amen? But see, the, these kinds of things, like, that, like the most important day of your life is the day that your life ends, because bang, you're going to be standing in front of him. And I want to, on that day, hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And not associate myself with the name, but associate myself with the name of Jesus and have a lifestyle of living like him, loving people and serving others in any way that I possibly can. Does that make sense? Does anybody else want to do that? Here's another one in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man. Everyone who associates with my name but does not act upon the very words that I spoke is going to be like a foolish man. So everybody says, well, I've built my rock on the foundation of Christ. That's not what the parable says. It's talking about a wise and a foolish builder. The one does the deeds and the other one doesn't. And a lot of time people, like they said, well, it's not, a, it's, it's, you don't have to, it's not about works. Salvation isn't about works. And it's like, this, this isn't about your salvation. This is about him being king and you serving him. So everybody puts their, their personal salvation before his lordship. Like, what does it take for me to get in? That's not the question we're asking. We're asking, what does it mean to follow Christ? Is everybody following me? And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house and it fell and it was a great fall. So there's roughly about 42 parables of Jesus. You're going to either find, if you Google it, there's going to be 46 to 40, depending on what you call a parable. 20 of those parables are about judgment. Isn't that remarkable? So what did Jesus teach most about? Judgment and judgment day. Just a few of them, sheep and the goats, the minas and the talents, the ten virgin, the virgins, the unmerciful servant, the shrewd servant. Every single one of those stories about a, a master who's here and then leaves. He puts people in charge of things and then he comes back to see what it is they did with what they were in charge of. And you are living that parable right now. You are in that space when the master left, and then he's going to come back, and he's going to see what you did with your life, right? Hebrews 9.27 says this, And in as much as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. 
And in James 3, 1, it says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren. This is for you. Knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. It's actually called a mega judgment. Isn't that intense? So I'm not up here saying you guys need to be more like me. I need to have so much sobriety because I'm going to stay in judgment one day, not just for how I live, but for how I taught and what I taught to people. In 1 John 4, 17 through 19, it says this, By this love is perfected with us, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Oh, thank goodness it says that. Would you guys like to know how you can have confidence in the day of judgment? Because as he is, so are we also in this world. Where does your confidence come from on the day of judgment? By how you lived your life. Hey, my hair stand up on end. Let me just repeat it, just so we're all on board. Where can you have confidence right now to go to the Father? You have it in the blood of Jesus Christ, correct? Where does your confidence come from on the day of judgment? How you lived your life. That sobers me right up, right? I'm going to read something to you. It's often uh, skipped and avoided. How many of you guys know John 3.16? Did you guys know there was a John 3.17 through 21, right? All right, I'm going to read it for you. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, that the world should be saved through him. So everybody's in trouble. It's not like God came to just kind of save a few people. Everybody is in trouble. And he's coming to save everybody who will be saved, right? Who sees their need for a savior. And then it says this, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Everything comes down to Jesus and how you situate yourself according to this man who claimed to be God's son, who came for the forgiveness of sins. Now, you're either saying this, I believe him, or I don't. He either is or he isn't who he says he was. And this is the judgment. Now, this is, if you guys ever wanted to get a clear picture of Judgment Day, he's just about to unravel it to Nicodemus here, right? And this is the judgment. That the light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. Now, I was on the phone with my buddy. He, was, uh, he grew up Catholic and Jewish. He's a little confused about Jesus, okay? And um, he'll call me once in a while because he's a financial guy, and he'll say, hey, pray for my stocks, right? And um, the other day we were on the phone, and he said, hey, did you hear that our one friend's dad has bone cancer and he's dying? I said, I did. And I said, we're, we're all dying, buddy. And I said, and we're all headed in that direction. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, you're going to die one day. And he goes, what? I said, yeah. And he goes, well, yeah, I know, but like, why are you talking about it? I said, what, does that make you uncomfortable? He goes, I don't like this conversation. And I said, oh, well, you know why he doesn't like it. It's the fear of death. It's the power of the enemy. So people with tooth and nail will avoid death. People don't like going to funerals. Now, there's a wisdom at a funeral. The house, there's a wisdom in the house of mourning that's not in the house of feasting, right? And the wisdom is this, is that you're next. You're next, like, we're all leaving this world, and it's good that you know that, and it's good that you understand that, right, so that you would take what time you have left and serve the Lord wholeheartedly, right? 
So he calls back a week later and he says, hey, I didn't like that conversation we had. I said, I, 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 said, I know you didn't like it. I said, but I said, would you like to know what's going to happen one day? He, after you die, he goes, yeah, I would. I said, well, let me, let me read this to you. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. So it's, it's not Jesus Christ exposes people. He is a light that when he looks at you, you can't help but see the truth about yourself in him. Because light exposes things. So for a person who lived for themselves, by themselves, to do whatever they wanted to do, when they see Jesus, they're going to realize it. Their life is going to unfold in front of them, and their life unfolds towards him, and they're either able to walk on that life in confidence, knowing that it was about him first, and that I served him, I loved him, I did this life absolutely with him in mind, or they're going to realize that they only lived for themselves and they were always about themselves. They had children and the only reason they loved them is because they wanted to feel like a good mom or dad, not because they actually love their kids with an agape love that only God has, right? Everything's going to be exposed, and instead of going to Jesus, they're going to run from him. Isn't that wild? So then the verse, it says, For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to light lest his deeds should be exposed. Let me finish it for you. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. So those who are able to approach God on that day come to him because that it may be clearly seen that their, that their deeds have been done in God so that you did life with God and for God. And then you're able to approach him because of the confidence that you have is that in this life you become like him. Does that make sense to everybody? But nobody really, like, nobody really presented that to me, but it's literally just right after John 3.16. It's right there. So our boldness on that day actually comes from the fact that we've become like him in this life because we had a relationship with the Holy Spirit and he was actually transforming us this entire time. Right? But let me tell you about where your confidence comes from right now. In Hebrews 10, 18 through 22, it says, Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Why do I have confidence right now to enter the holy place? Because of the shed blood of Jesus. And this is what I love about, about God. He's saying, hey, in the midst of this process, I don't want you to look at your life to determine whether or not you can come to me. I want you to look at the blood of Jesus and determine that you are forgiven and that you can come to me no matter what. And so here's the thing about that, that we're all in process. How many of you guys know that understanding the truth is a process? The Holy Spirit is a revealer of truth. So how many of you have graduated from the Holy Spirit program where you no longer need the Holy Spirit to actually reveal truth to you? It's actually one of his roles, right? So if he's revealing truth to you, I'm going to pretend there's a carpet up here. I don't know if you guys can see it. Here's one end. Let's pretend this whole carpet is truth, that I'm in a process of understanding who God is with the Holy Spirit, and there's truth that I've been shown in Scripture, and then there's truth yet that I've been yet to been introduced to. 
So I'm still growing and knowing who God is. Are you guys following me? Here's the thing about humans. We've filled in the gap with our imaginations. There are things about Jesus that we haven't yet verified through the word and through the spirit that we believe because we want it to be true. You guys following that? So we need to tear down any kind of thing that, we, that is of our imagination that isn't true about Jesus and get rid of it. And in the process of doing that, we're going to look at his blood. But at the end of the process, in the midst of the process, when we die, we can look back at our lives and say, okay, I've actually been doing the deeds of Jesus. I've actually been following him. I'm actually the one who's been serving him. So it says this, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean and an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then Hebrews 13, 12 through 17 says this, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Hence let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his approach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Today's Pentecost, uh, charismatic movement doesn't like that verse too much. We like to emphasize kingdom now. I like to emphasize kingdom now. I want to see miracles now. I want to see healings now. I love all that stuff. But in Hebrews 13, it also says this, for here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his names and do not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices God is pleased. How many of you want to please God? It's impossible to please God without faith. Here it goes into a little bit more detail and says that God is pleased when we do good and when we share with one another. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. There's a little bit more accountability. Now, I want to I read you guys a, um, a parable that you're very familiar with. Okay? And, and as I'm reading this parable, I, I just want to kind of pull something out that nobody ever really talks about. Everybody loves the prodigal son parable because they like that theology that they can just kind of walk away from God anytime they want and you just come back and you just get the robe and the sandals and all that stuff, right? Now, how many of you guys know that we were all, we were all sinners at one point and we all walked away, right? And we said, I don't want anything to do with God. Hopefully you guys came to your senses. You came back and he accepted you arms wide, right? But this life and what you do now really, really matters. It really matters. Did you guys know that like heaven, like do you remember that when it says the first shall be last and the last shall be first? Do you know that's like real? Like, like heaven's actually a hierarchy of people. It's not like, guys, it doesn't matter who's first, who's last. doesn't matter how you live. doesn't matter if you obey the commandments. Once, once we get there, everything is equal and everything's fine. That's not what the Bible says anywhere. It's actually a hierarchy. And there's going to be people over you in heaven that were actually more trustworthy than you while they were here. Do you guys ever think about this kind of stuff? The Bible talks about 24 elders. They're actually in a position, a trusted position in Revelation. 
In Luke 15, 11 through 32, it says this, and he said a certain man had two sons. He goes out of his ways to mention that there's two sons. If you guys are familiar with uh, ancient Near Eastern culture, you know that what do sons get from their father? An inheritance, correct? Who gets what kind of inheritance? Well, the oldest son always gets a double portion. I didn't know if you guys knew that, but if you're the oldest son, you're expected to take care of the mom. If something happens to dad, you're expected to take care of everybody, so they actually give you a double portion. So the younger son is going to get a single portion, so he's going to get a third of the property in this parable. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me, and he divided his wealth between them. Which means this, that, okay, so you're, 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 you want this, here's a third, they liquidate a third of the property. Like, I don't know if they just sold off all, the, all the, the goats and the cows or they actually sold off property, but a third of it's gone and given to this guy. And he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a dis distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. He took a third I mean, I don't know how many generations of family it was or how big it was, but I can imagine a third of it was pretty big because they have servants there. You know, not just a servant, they have servants. Do you guys have servants? Not there yet, huh? I don't have any either. But like, my, my kids, but... Um, <laughs> there's, there's, a, there, there, there's a lot of money here, and this guy squanders it in loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country, and he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father's house and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight I no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. And he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him and embraced him and kissed him. I love that. I love that God is excited that somebody comes back. I'm glad he can celebrate that because that was me at one point, Right? And it says this, he said, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and be merry. And that's amazing. Like, do you guys ever read it? And um, when Paul in 1 Corinthians, he's talking about the, um, uh, he's talking about precious jewels gold, silver, and, and, and precious jewels, and he's talking about wood, hay, and stubble. And he's talking about basically how one day your life... Oh, thank you. That he's talking about one day your life's going to be put on the fire. It's going to have fire applied to it to see what's left of it. And what does that mean? It means what in your life actually was done for God and with God, right, out of the motive of love. And will there be anything left, or will it all go up in smoke? And he says, even if it all goes up in smoke, there's going to be some people that are, that are saved as, as if they were just snatched from the fire, right? They don't have anything to show for it, but they're still in. You guys following me? That's kind of like this guy. He doesn't have anything to show for it. There's no inheritance. It's all gone. But at least he's back and at least he's in. Amen? 
So he brings out this stuff and, he, and he's throwing a party. For the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to be merry. And this is the guy who catches a bad rap in the story. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things might be. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in, and his father came out and began entreating him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I've never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a kid or a young goat, that I might be merry with my friends." But when this son of yours who has devoured your wealth, and he did, a third of it, that's a lot. And you killed the fattened calf for him, and now listen to this. And he said to him, my child, you've always been with me, and all that is mine is, did you know that's a true statement? He didn't squander his inheritance. The other guy did. And when he's talking to the older brother, he's not saying this. Hey, all that I have is yours and his. He's saying all that I have is yours because you've been faithful this whole time. And I'm going to be trusting you to take care of him when I'm gone. It's not just, hey, look at this older brother knucklehead who doesn't get it that he should be celebrating. It's that he's been faithful the whole time. And yes, he needs a little adjustment here on his attitude towards his younger brother. But he's going to be the one that's trusted. Why? Because he's been trustworthy. We caught him at a bad moment here in the story. And this is actually represents the Pharisees to a degree in who he's talking to. But guys, I'm telling you, God is looking for trustworthy people who can be trustworthy with things now so that you can be trustworthy later and that he can trust you with things later. This isn't about just getting into heaven. This is about serving the Lord and actually becoming who you actually can become in him so he can trust you with what he intends to trust you with then. Does that, does that motivate anybody? Because th- this, is, this is my concern. My concern is that people attach themselves to the name of Christ and they give themselves a get-out-of-jail-free card when it comes to doing the deeds of Christ. It makes me nervous. Now I'm going to get really personal. Is that okay? I had a really bad season in my life. I was um, in seminary, actually. And um, I was going to a church. It was a rather large church. You remember that large church in seminary? Um, yeah, like it was, um, it, was, it was the size of an airport. And I was attending there. And um, it, was, it was the first season of my life that I wasn't serving in a church. First season I had ever since I became 12 years old. I've always served in the church. And, um, and I went there and I was going to seminary. I kind of gave myself a pass not to serve because I was learning so much. And I went to that church. And do you know what I did when I went to that church? The first thing that happened was I became critical of what the pastor was saying because I was in the audience and I was a consumer, but I wasn't a contributor. There's a principle in the Bible that talks about if you lay down your life, then you will find it. Those who try to cling to their life will lose it. Do you guys know what I'm saying? This is, this is one of the smallest things that you could ever imagine doing. Are you guys ready for it? You might think, well, that's, that, that doesn't really matter. That's insignificant. It's not insignificant. It actually matters a lot. Serving in your local church and deciding that you're going to be a contributor 
and not a customer or a consumer is one of the biggest decisions that you have to make because God trusts us with something little before he trusts us with something large. Are you guys following me? Now, here's the thing. When you begin to lay down your life at church, you actually grow. You actually grow. Some of my most mature people at my church are those who serve in children's ministry, and they barely ever hear what I say. Well, why? Because they actually have laid down their life more. Therefore, the Lord comes and hurries the process for them. They're very mature. Now, let me just tell you what I felt like when I came in here. Um, you guys are very family-oriented. I, I can already tell just from like kind of watching your service. God is, is, is over this region, and he wants to send people here. But he can't send people here until the people here are serving. And I really mean it. Now I'm going to get a little heavier. You guys ready for this? And like, there's, how many of you guys know there's no condemnation in Christ? But there is conviction. And so if you're being convicted, amen. Are you guys ready for this? One day, my life is going to unfold. And there's going to be these lanes, I believe, at least in my imagination there is. And there's going to be lanes of certain aspects of my life that I'm going to walk on. One of them is going to be my financial giving that I'm going to see. It's going to unfold. God doesn't hide inconvenient truth for your sake. He is truth. He can't help but shine right? One of these lanes is going to be serving. And this is what I want on that lane. I want a lifetime of serving the Lord in my local body. I want to serve him personally. And trust me, I'm all for that. I want to be on the streets doing what I can and loving people well, but I want to love him corporately well. And this is another thing. Are you guys ready? For, this is, this will blow your mind. I don't know if you guys have heard of this. I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. Did you come to be served or are you here to serve? Let me ask you this question. Do you follow Jesus Christ? He came to serve. He came to serve. And God is, God is, God is over this region and he's looking at churches saying, where can I send people where they're going to equip them to do the work of the ministry? And do you know where he sends people? He sends people to the place where the people are serving. But if people do not want to serve, he will not send people there. Because he needs not just people who are identifying with his name, but he needs the system in place of how people are going to end up serving him. Are you guys following me? And there's, there's, there's something, I, I, I think sometimes in the charismatic movement, we emphasized our individual um, gifts over the corporate body and how powerful a church can be. For example, how many believe that you're going to heaven one day? Now, let me tell you about this. There's certain degrees of believing that. There's the degree of believing that where you kind of raise your hand, but when then something goes wrong, you kind of fall apart as if you're not going to be in heaven one day. And then there's, you, you believe it to the point where problems in this life are a joke because you know where you're headed and you rejoice in it every morning. And the joy of the Lord actually fills you because you're not going to hell. And you actually rejoice as if you've just been released from that prison sentence. And you understand the gravity of it and you can't believe that you get to spend eternity with God. So would you guys at least agree that there's a certain point of believing something where it eventually produces something? 
Like, how many of you guys believe that this is the word of God? Like, God wrote this book. Okay, then there's the, 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 the point that you believe it where you actually read it every day. You guys get what I'm saying? How many of you guys believe that there's people in this town going to hell? But then there's the point that you believe it that you actually do something about it. Do you guys get what I'm saying? There's very varying degrees of believing stuff. And I feel like we've all bought into the fact that we all believe, we all believe the correct doctrine, therefore we're done. You're not even close to done. There's so much more believing to be doing in our basic doctrine that we haven't arrived at yet. Where we're actually like seeing people that are in need, right? And we actually walk by them. How many of you guys believe that there's more believing to do if that's happening? And it's okay to humble yourself. It's okay to say, Father, I walked by the person again. That person needed help and I'm walking by him and I should have stopped. And man, there's a place where I just believe in your great commission more. Would you help me believe? Right? There's a place to say this. If you're, if you're not, if you're in this church and you've somehow decided that you get to um, not serve in some way, then you've figured out a way to not mature in Christ. Because if you keep trying to identify with the name without doing the deeds of, you're stalemated. I don't care how theologically on point you are, if people aren't laying down their lives, they're not going to grow. You guys get it? And I'm telling you, like, God wants to do something at this church. He wants to do amazing things at this church. But without sacrifice, there is no fire. And I, I love when the Holy Spirit moves. I'm a huge Holy Spirit guy. I love watching the Spirit move. But he doesn't move till someone lays down their life. And when you start to lay down your, well, yeah, but, like, I, I don't want to go to Africa. I'm not talking about going to Africa. I'm talking about creating a greeting team in the lobby. Do you guys know that? Now, I'm just going to be really personal with you guys here. If you guys want new people to come in to be introduced to who your God is, that kind of stuff has got to start happening. It cannot happen unless people lay down their lives and say, you know what, I'm going to church and I'm serving. I'm not there for me. I'm there for him. Whatever it looks like to serve. Jesus Christ came to serve. That's what I'm going to do with my life. Amen? Could somebody in the back go and get me um, some note cards and some pens? Could somebody do that? Somebody who knows the office and maybe where some of that stuff is, or paper and pens. If you could just go back there, that'd be great. This is what I'm going to ask you guys to do. Now, some of you guys are here, and I'm not like an emotional preacher. Like, I don't get like crazy emotional or try to get you guys emotional. And that's not what this is about. What this is about is you guys deciding what you want this church to be for him. Or this church is going to be what you want it to be for you. Does that make sense? And I'll tell you about one of the greatest temptations about a family church is to remain a family. And to not have spiritual children. Because everybody knows your name. And everybody knows your face. And everybody else can just go to hell. It's one of the greatest temptations about a family church. But there, there, are, there are people out there that need to be in here. But they can't come in here until people take up the position of serving. Now you can say amen if you'd like. Would you guys uh, stand with me? I'm going to pray. I was 12 years old when I started serving in the church, and um, 
I didn't have it all together. You know what I mean? But how many of you guys know to shake someone's hand and say good morning to them? You don't need to have everything together. But you don't, you don't want to stand before the Lord one day without doing everything you possibly could in this life to become like him. One of my greatest concerns is that I, I sometimes think that some people don't even have the ears to hear it. Um, like, this life has so taught people to be about themselves and for themselves, and that everybody else is just here to serve you, but that's not the way of Christ. And if you claim that he is Lord, then do the deeds of Christ and serve alongside of him. There's, uh, did you guys grab some uh, note cards and some paper back there? Uh, we're going to have that back there. I want anybody in here who's interested in serving. And now listen to me. Like, maybe some of like the avenues of getting connected haven't been like super polished and like, you know, some of the systems that are there. And this is just a real quick, just for the people that are in here, a real easy system. You're just going to put your name and your phone number on there, okay? And say, I would like to serve. That's all, that's all we want you to do, Okay. And then we're going to collect those, and we're, we're going to get you guys. I know you guys know each other, so we'll get you plugged in the appropriate place. But, man, I, I am excited because, like, to go from, like, not serving to serving, and maybe you kind of, I mean, COVID season, maybe some things happened, but to get back into a place of giving of oneself is going to do something in your conscience that's going to make your prayer time so much better than it currently is. If we can't figure out how to serve in the house of God, I doubt we're serving outside the house of God. Right? So this is, this is not something small. It's actually a big moment. Because those who are faithful with a little thing will be trusted with much. Right? So this is a little thing. And we're saying yes to God. And as we walk this out, we'll be faithful with much. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray. So Father, I would just ask if there's anybody in this room. Lord, there's no need to be embarrassed about it. I mean, there, there's just a place where, oh yeah, like you came to serve. I need to be serving. So I pray that, Lord, if there's anybody in this room that is supposed to be serving that it currently isn't, that that conviction would come on them. They'd find that pen. They'd find that paper and that they would hand it in and that they would begin to be open even more so to all the good deeds that you've had prepared beforehand in their life, that they would walk it out. In Jesus' name, amen.